Welcome to another episode of the Daily Grind Podcast. Well, howdy, y'all, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Grind with your co-host, John and Carla. Good morning, Daily Grind. Carla here, checking in. So we are here to help you brew your brain, sharpen your wit. We'll give you a rundown on interesting historical events, today's dates, and some random musings just to help you get those brain gears turning this morning. And then I'll leave a few thoughts on your walk with Jesus. So again, thanks for joining us, and let's get this show on the road. Hey, good morning, Carl. Happy Wednesday. Oh, good morning. Hump day. Woohoo. Hump day. It is December 6th. And on this date in 1790, the U.S. Congress moved from New York to Philadelphia. Okay. And on this date in 1830, the U.S. Naval Observatory, one of the oldest scientific agencies in the United States, was established. Originally, it was called the Depot of Charts and Instruments in Washington, D.C. How about that? Don't you like to get a job at the Depot of Charts and Instruments? Well, I love charts and instruments, so I would love a job like at the Depot. (laughs) Yeah. I I like that word, too. Depot. Depot. I like it a lot. I like the way it's spelled. It's so unusual. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll And and on this date in 1897. Okay, think about that date. 1897. Everything that's happening in the world at that time. London became the world's first city to license taxi cabs. Okay. Yes. So you got a regulation. And so. 1897? Okay. 1897. Mm. That's just, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Uh, December 6th is also in the fictional world of Harry Potter, the birthday of Hagrid. Oh, happy birthday, Hagrid. And on this date in 1969, um, the Altmont Free Concert featuring Santana, Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Crosby, (laughs) Stills, and Nash, and Young, and the Rolling Stones ended in tragedy because it had several deaths and hundreds of people injured. And it was the focus of the 1970 documentary film entitled Give Me Shelter. Because they thought it would be a good idea at a free concert to have the Hell's Angels provide security. Um, Ooh, talk about your law of unintended consequences. <laughs> but uh, I think that's the law. Of, how did you not grief. see that just coming? Bad idea. Like, oh, like that's just right. Really? Yeah, like. Mm. And on this date in 1973, Gerald Ford was sworn in as U.S. Vice President. Oh wow. That's a historic deal. All kinds of murky stuff's happening in those early 70 years of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so December 6th is International Sweater Day. Oh, that's a great day. I, I like sweaters. it. I'm, okay. a, I'm, into, I'm sweater. Pro sweater. Okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's Miner's Day. Okay. It, it's Mitten Tree Day. Mitten Tree Day. Yes. Now, okay. yeah. And I think the idea is if you've got extra mittens or woolen gloves or something like that, you should pass them on to people who might need them. Okay. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's also National Gazpacho Day. Oh, all right. Well, I would, okay. I would think that would be at a 
warmer time of the year, but that's just me. Yes, because gazpacho is what? Cold potato soup. Uh, cold tomato soup. Yeah. Okay. It can have potatoes. Yeah. Uh, did I did not say a, potato. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. But it's 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 a it's from the Andalusia region of Spain, and it's typically vegetables like tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, okay. onions. But it's often eaten during the summer months. Yeah, but it's I don't know why we call it gazpacho day on the fifth. I guess the summer was too busy, and they said mm, you know what? <laughs> we'll stick out more in the winter. December, there's less going on in December. We'll pick that one. Okay. <laughs> in South Carolina, Carrie and Noah have a cat named gazpacho ah how about that which is a good sounding name i think it is it's also national pawnbrokers day okay it's national microwave oven day i'll lay some microwave facts on you in just a minute it's also put on your own shoes day okay again <laughs> that is like every day like when is that not occurring why is that at, like are you oh. constantly think you're putting on other people's shoes that's, that's a weird one and it's also saint oh. nicholas day oh okay we're getting close then we're getting close yes because american santa claus and british father christmas both derive from saint nicholas and Santa Claus itself is derived part of from the Dutch Sinterklaas. But he's actually named after a saint, St. Nicholas, who was born in March of 270 and died on December 6th in the year 343. Oh, he was a 4th century Greek bishop. A jolly old soul. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> and now it's that time of the day of the grind to sharpen your wit. It's National Microwave Day. It just, in case you're wondering, the first microwave built oh. was in 1947 by Percy Spencer. Probably a relative because Whoa. it had to be smart. Surely. <laughs> Surely. Uh, but the original microwave was about six feet tall and cost about $5,000. Whoa. And that was a lot more money back then. The, yes, that was $5,000 in 1947. Yeah. The first countertop microwave was released in 1967, but still very expensive. Today, about 90% of households in the U.S. have a microwave. We do, and you know, I mostly use it for heating water. <laughs> that doesn't seem very efficient. Well, here's the thing. Countries with the highest levels of microwave ownership in order are Spain, Canada, South Africa, and the United States. Okay, then. And just in case you're unclear, there is no radiation going on there. Microwaves cook using friction. The food's mm -hmm. molecules bump into each other, converting energy into heat is how they end up heating things. So there you go. That's how microwaves right. work. Yeah. A group of baby rabbits, Carla. Baby rabbits. It's called a litter or a nest. A nest. I'll, I'll go with nest. A nest of baby rabbits. David Bowie made his first TV appearance in 1964 at the age of 17. But it was not for his music. He was interviewed on the BBC's Tonight Show as a founder of the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Long-Haired Men. <laughs> okay. There you go. Wow. 
An activist. Wow. So Michael Crichton, the author? Yes. Went to school at Harvard. Did not know. Yeah. Long before he started writing Jurassic Park books and mm. The Prey and a whole bunch of other kinds of stuff. But he felt like he had a professor that was just constantly giving him unfair grades. So to prove his point, he had talked to one of his academic professors and advisors and told him what he was going to do. And he turned in a paper that George Orwell had written Ooh. much earlier. And his professor gave him a B minus. <laughs> How about that? Gave Orwell a B minus. It's like. How about that? I think maybe somebody <laughs> isn't being impartial. Perhaps. Wow. They say, I, this is one of those things, I can't verify this one, haven't had a chance to look it up, but I saw it on the lid of a Snapple fact. So. You know it's true. <laughs> it said that you could lose a whole pound by playing ping pong for 12 hours. A pound of what, though? What? Well, I think you could lose a pound if you did any anything big for 12, for 12 hours. hours. I mean, like, oh. good grief. As long as it wasn't sitting on the couch and any mm -hmm. kind of activity yeah so a ship carla is designed to take you places yes yes so if your friendship companionship partnership or relationship isn't taking you anywhere you need to abandon ship oh <laughs> or try harder or try harder or set a course yeah what? don't be Put a rudder to that thing. Yes. Put some wind in your sails. <laughs> Something. Yes. Carla, in the United States of America, we say that the contiguous states are the lower 48. Yes, we do say that. Okay. I have a problem with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you look at a map. Yes. We have 50 states. Yes. The southernmost point in the United States is in Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> the northernmost point is in Alaska, which uh, means yes. that the conti the contiguous should be the middle 48. The middle 48, exactly. So I'm just going to ask everybody in the Daily Grand Nation mm -hmm. to forego the use of the lower 48 and instead accurately refer to the continental U.S. as the middle 48. The middle Forty-eight. I'm in. You can count on me. Because it's it's the middle. Yeah. Just like today's the middle of the week. Yes. Have a good Wednesday, Carla. You too. You too, Daily Grind. And now it's that time on the Daily Grind to enrich your faith. So have you ever wondered about the name Emmanuel in your Bible? I mean, you can't escape it at Christmas. It's in songs. It's on signs. It's in sermons. But often, we miss the profound power of Emmanuel. Now, this isn't just a Christmas thing either. It's a lesson for all year. The meaning of Emmanuel should form a bedrock of every Christian's everyday faith. So let's dive in to what this name means and how it should impact our lives today. What does Emmanuel mean in the Bible? Well, first off, we're on a podcast, but if you're reading it, sometimes you'll see it spelled with an I, sometimes you'll see it spelled with an E. Now, Emmanuel comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, while I, Emmanuel, originates from the original Hebrew. Both spellings refer to the same thing. In the Old Testament, Emmanuel appears twice. 
Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8. And it appears once in the New Testament, in Matthew 1, 23. Emmanuel means God with us. In the Old Testament, that name was given as an assurance to Judah that they would find relief from the attacks in Syria. It symbolized God's constant presence. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14, saying that Jesus' arrival fulfills that prophecy in a much grander, more significant way. Emmanuel implies that God would literally dwell among his people. A huge shift from the past where God was somewhat confined to the temple in the Holy of Holies is where his presence would intersect with earth. Jesus shows up and everything changes. Context is everything. So let's just think about Emmanuel from the lens of Jewish history. To understand the neighborhood that Jesus entered into, you need to realize that Israel faced conquest after conquest, from the Syrians to the Persians, even Alexander the Great. And Tokius Epiphanes took that to a whole nother level. He attempted to obliterate the Jewish religion. His tyranny included defiling the temple. He even sacrificed a pig in the Holy of Holies. The Jews revolted, but that freedom was short-lived as Rome soon took over and they put in place the much less than ideal Herod. That is the neighborhood that Jesus entered, a place with a troubled past, a grieving present, and a very uncertain future. Sound familiar? Maybe you can relate? But Emmanuel promised that God is with you right where you are, just like he was with his people in those challenging times. So let's shift gears, though, and explore how the meaning of Emmanuel in the Bible affects us today, our experiences. We have a God who understands. Emmanuel signifies that God isn't just about rules and perfection. What he desires is a deep personal relationship with us. Christianity stands out because we follow a God who has walked in our shoes, can empathize with our struggles. Emmanuel shows us that God isn't aloof, but willing to experience our sufferings on his fallen planet. It's remarkable. No other religion has a God that willingly suffers for his people, one who intimately identifies with his creation. Emmanuel means there's a God who understands what you're going through. And Emmanuel goes beyond understanding. It's also about a God who actively helps us. God didn't just come to empathize, but to assist us in the messiness of life. In the face of suffering, God didn't magically make it all vanish, but he chose to absorb it personally. Philip Yancey puts it like this, only a suffering God can help. I mean, during hardship, a lot of facts and truth, those really don't provide. Emmanuel is the living proof that God hasn't abandoned us. He came to suffer with us, offering the promise that one day it will all end. And until then, we are not alone in our suffering. And I guess the final takeaway might be this. Emmanuel's meaning for us today is a call to live it out. It's not just a promise to hold on to. It is a way to be. It is a way to live. Emmanuel, God with us, that should alter significantly how we navigate everyday life. I mean, internally, we should be reassured that God is with us and actively working to heal us. This is where faith asks us to hold on to hope, believing that God will redeem all the pain and suffering in due time. Externally, 
Our response to Emmanuel should impact those around us. Just like Jesus lived in our neighborhood and shared our suffering, we're called to do the same for others. And I'm going to quote Philip Yancey again. He put it like this, when God seems absent, sometimes it's up to us to show his presence. Mm, Let that sink in a minute. We must help others see the hope extended to them. We don't need all the answers. Just be present as God is present with us and extend that presence to others. So whether it's Christmas or not, reflecting on the meaning of Emmanuel should be a constant in our lives. It's something to remind ourselves of and to live out daily. Emmanuel means that God is with us wherever we are, regardless of our circumstances, God is with us. Think about that. The next time you look at one of those nativity scenes or you hear the hymn, I hope everybody is going to have a great Wednesday. As always, please do the podcast stuff. If you like this podcast, if you like what I'm doing, rate it, review it, helps people find it, helps it grow, share it with your friends. If you've got feedback, man, bring that on too. And whatever you're doing today, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances Just know that God is with you. See you all tomorrow on another episode of The Daily Grind.